here welcoming you to not only Joe vs. the World episode 83, but the Joe vs. the World 10th Anniversary Spectacular. And no other guest I'd rather have to help me kick things off than Mr. Bye-Bye himself, Justin Shapiro. Justin, how you doing? So good. I've waited my whole life just to do this. And At least most, Yes, most of that. And, uh, oh God, up and down this lonely road of faith, we have been there. Unprepared for the storms and the tides that rise. And I realized just one thing, how much I love you. And it Aww. hurts to see you cry. So at a certain point, the lyrics stop becoming pertinent. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know. We can make it through the something in the winds of change. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Ten years, who'd have thunk it? Not me. No, just, uh, I remember you back on episode two. When uh, I'm like, hey, Justin Shapiro, funny man, hmm. the Delphi forums, this will clearly translate to audio form, and uh, it did. I was skeptical, bordering on <laughs> scared. <laughs> you had already been on uh, the Brian Alvarez figure four daily at that point, yes, correct? Yes, at that point I was even more skeptical and even more scared. <laughs> One thing I learned is to not record shows after getting no sleep, attending the Steelers Super Bowl parade, and being on NyQuil. The over the top. It's, it seems like sound advice. It's way over the top. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially when you can't, you're only sound being recorded. So, um, but then, yeah. and you plucked me, and you you made me. It made me better at everything. Now, uh, I I would be so nervous going into it. I'd be like, I better have some pre-prepared material that I can lean on. And now I have no prepared material. <laughs> You leave that to me. Oh yeah. So we truly did it. What year did you did you bring us back when we started in 1990? Um, that was ish years ago, I think. Seems right. Because I've always yeah. made the analogy of, uh, you know, X Men was it was like issue one through sixty something, and that and then they just were in reprints for thirty issues in three years. Yes. But then launched bigger and better than ever, giant size Joe vs. the World number one. And I feel like that's what that was, number 1990. I, I like that. I appreciate that analogy. Mm-hmm. All right. Even though uh, the uh, X-Men, not as popular. It, it's just so strange when I was, uh, as I grew up, the, uh, the Avengers were very unpopular. They were very... They were Dull. straight dorks, man. They liked America, <laughs> and they weren't mad and sad all the time. No, the mutants were the hot thing, but now is the Avengers that are the the crept into the national consciousness. Be weird. I have to get Albert Ching on to explain this to me. What's cooler than Norse mythology? <laughs> what indeed? Uh. I know. I know of one thing, and that's 1997 and the WWF, specifically the second quarter of it which is what we will be t- discussing today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're picking up... Uh, shall, we, shall we dive right in? Yeah. I just want to say thank right. you so much, and it means... You, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you would celebrate this exclusively with me and only me, as though mm, yes. the one no, guest no, I need no, no. is, the, uh, is, is just this show, and we'll make our point, and then that's just a nice, quiet celebration. And, yes, uh, nothing, uh, nothing else. Intimate you and me. Let's do it. Okay, well... We shall uh, begin the night after WrestleMania. The big news being that Bret Hart turned heel. He cut a promo, apologized to his fans in Germany, England, Japan, but not America. 
recounted all the crap he had gone through since coming back, saying he did everything he was asked, and the fans didn't appreciate it. They'd rather cheer for a pretty boy who appeared in a gay magazine. <coughs> Not mine. Uh, Sean came out to retort, and Brett beat him up. A better retort. Two weeks later, Sean cut a promo saying Brett had always been a bad guy, and he quit hoping uh, business would collapse. And the company had the best business it had in six years with Sean on top, which prompted quite a response in the Observer. Mm, what do you know? I believe that helped uh, mend the fence between uh, Brett and Mr. Dave Meltzer. Uh, Meltzer's uh, impassioned disagreement with uh, Sean's statement. Yeah, they bonded over Sean's uh, box office receipts. <laughs> of course, it was uh, Montreal later on that I'm sure solidified things, but that's not for that a while. That broke the ice, though. It sure did. It sure did. All right, uh, the Headbangers got their title shot they earned at WrestleMania the night after Raw. Again, Owen and the Bulldog had problems. Bulldog accidentally bumped into Owen, who briefly walked out. He came back, had more miscommunication, which resulted in the ref getting shoved down. No contest in the match. Owen gets on the mic, says he's had enough. He's dissolving the team, wants a shot at the European title. So the next week on Raw, they open the show. The match is heated. The ref gets bumped. Owen goes to grab a chair, but the Bulldog gets it and is about to use it when Bret Hart comes out. He gets in between them, tells them to stop. Says their feud is the fault of the fans. They have no family values. They force them into meaningless feuds. Tells Owen he loves them, he needs them. Ultimately, all three hug. The Hart Foundation is reborn. Uh, to me, this is like this is one of my favorite Raw moments ever. I think it's the best swerve in wrestling history, although it wasn't planned that way. They Ultimately, Owen and Davey were going to break up, but I guess Brett decided they should stay together with his heel turn. But in terms of a story going one way and then a completely other direction, but having it make total sense, I don't think it gets any better than this. I'll say, yeah. Uh, I think it was all set up. British Bulldog was repeatedly being clipped in the knee by Steve Austin in the prior show, and he was just primed to be like a babyface European champion. And uh, the beauty is, instead it was... As you said, such a logical progression instead for them to be like, oh, introduce this other element, and then he makes a compelling case to do this really great thing. Also, it all ties, like, 1994 and 5 completely uh, revolved around um, Bret Hart feuding with his brother and then bring Davey in, and then later Davey turning mean and getting with him, and it, to tie that all up three or four years later into this great new act is essentially the, the kinds of things that, uh, the reason that I would follow, like, long-term WWE storytelling, and it rewards you in that way, and it's nice when you have those long-standing characters and relationships and things like that. And I think it's missing where things, like, they, the only history now in contemporary WWE usually only pertains to things that the members of Evolution did, and everything... <laughs> Potentially now the shield, but um, and those are the the only like history that is in WWE continuity. So uh, yeah, it would be nicer if, if things like I don't know what the equivalent would be if like the late dead Bad News Barrett stopped a Ryback social outcast squash and reunited <laughs> the Nexus. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I I wouldn't rule that out. Hey. But, um, wait, oh, oh, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, Heath Slater would be in. Right. Because he was in that, right? Absolutely. Okay, that's a very long time ago. Uh, who else could, um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, wait, oh. 
who's coming out? What if he, like, a virgin, was like, gentlemen, gentlemen, stop. There is still a higher purpose for all of us. Remember? How could I forget? Mm -hmm. Oh, that was a long time ago. Anyway, Anyway. proceed. Yes, uh, Vader was originally planned to be the next uh, challenger to the, the world title, but he had some injuries. So they announced Mankind as Gang's next title shot, which worked out for the best, although it was fairly odd that they just like, yep, Mankind getting a title shot. So, Undertaker was cutting a promo about being the new champion. Paul Bearer came out and said everything he did, he did for the Undertaker. He indicated he wanted to get back with him. The next week, Bear comes out to the ring again, makes a similar plea. Undertaker comes out and says he won't forget. Maybe he could forgive. He hands Bear the belt, but then punches him in the face, which goes against the whole forgiving part. But this allowed Mankind to come out from under the ring and toast the Undertaker with a fireball. The next week, Mankind cut a promo talking about having a wife and kids. So I guess he wasn't a tortured sewer dweller anymore. Hmm. I thought he was married about- to that rat. <laughs> <laughs> being on the road 300 days a year, working on his 17th concussion, and making half as much as the muscle boys in the opener. <laughs> this, this kind of interview would be the bane of wrestling in the years to come, but uh, it certainly served McFoley well. Mind-blowing stuff, only to get even better fairly soon. Yes. Uh, it just <laughs> He's like, no, no, I have a wife and kids. I didn't have a piano slammed on my hands when I was a kid. That's exactly the example I was going to make. Is Instead, now, our new version of Mankind, the history of Mankind, uh, in the Encyclopedia Britannica, is like uh, just um, Colette standing next to him while he has his hands smashing that <laughs> piano and over and over and over again. Re. <laughs> That's a good mankind sound, right? That was pretty good. It's no Bray Wyatt. Oh no, I'm. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Traveling through time, that evil, <laughs> wicked magician is playing tricks upon ye, man. Uh, anyway, on the uh, April seventh for us, Sid was supposed to face mankind, but they announced he hadn't shown up. Steve Austin was doomed to be a suitable replacement, but Austin said he would only take the match if he could get Bret Hart at the pay-per-view, which Gorilla Monsoon agreed to. The deal was, according to the Observer, Sid had a herniated disc and wasn't going to be at Raw, so he called the office. Unfortunately, he called it on the weekend when no one was there, and Raw was taped Sunday night. Uh, some people questioned Sid's injury, because you would think Mankind would go over since he was getting a title shot, and Brett Sid was planned for In Your House, and again, you would think Brett was going over, so they thought uh, Sid was maybe playing some games. Uh, but uh, he would be back, but not. Uh, we're running out of Sid material here. <laughs> There's not much left. Yeah. All right, uh, after the Road Dog won a squash on the March 31st uh, Raw, the Honky Talk Man, doing commentary, got into the ring afterwards, offered James the opportunity to be his protege, remember that angle, and presented him with a guitar, apparently a cherished heirloom, according to uh, Jerry Lawler. Uh, James smashed it, declined the opportunity. The next week, Honky made the same offer to Billy Gunn, who probably punched him in the face. On the next week's Raw from South Africa, Honky Tonk cost Jesse a match against Triple H, so he found his protege, and James would face him at the pay-per-view. Scintillating stuff. Oh, baby. This is... Uh... Not enough of protege angles these days. Well, uh, racking my brain here, no. Certainly not. Especially when an old guy is like, I'm going to find someone in the image of a new guy. But when we get there, well, we'll, we'll get it when we get there. All the logical intricacies. Yes. I mean, honestly, you could have Jesse James or Billy Gunn be in the position now. It's been long enough. That's a good point, yes. 
But uh, Jesse James would say wins and losses don't matter, so I don't think he would be a good uh, a good coach. All right. Uh, oh, April 7th Raw. Terrible segment here where a figure appeared on the ramp, called himself the Commandant of the Truth Commission. Yay! <laughs> he and his commandos were in America to study the effects of democracy and called the crowd sissy liberal Americans. This wasn't even Don Callis, by the way, just some dude. So, uh, again, they, we will not discuss them the remainder of this show, but uh, certainly they will make their presence felt in the time to come. I can't wait. I just, uh, <laughs> evil South African. Uh, yeah, sissy liberal Americans. Probably vote for Trump. <laughs> How do you do South African accent? South African? African? African. Kerrigan. 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 They're close. Uh, African is more militant version of New Zealand. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> just looking to fly at the Concords if you do that. Yes. <laughs> Truth right, Commission right. meeting. The interrogator <laughs> present. <laughs> Brit, you know, Brit, I... Brit. Let's get Brit in the Heart Foundation. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they met in the little office. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's the actual like Truth Commission headquarters. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ken Shamrock had an exhibition fight against Vernon White, someone also from the Lions Den. This is <laughs> pretty amazing. Vince was plugging a UFC show, talking about how it was misunderstood, but Vernon apparently took the exhibition too far, and Ken screwed him up with punches. Vernon was bleeding pretty bad. Vader came out afterwards, apparently not impressed with the world's most dangerous man. What, what did you make of these UFC fights on your Monday Night Raw? My brain wasn't big enough to quite comprehend it at that point. I still never really rectified what the ECW miscreants were doing at, like, Philadelphia <laughs> and stuff like that. So to then incorporate UFC here was even odder. Talk about Meltzer being cited on Raw, or, you know, rebutting Raw. He would be cited on Nitro by Flair in about uh, eight months from what we're talking about. But um, what the difference between then is, I'm sure, then the entire Observer and uh, whatever the uh, hotline, I guess, is the equivalent of Observer Radio, the next day would be like breaking down <laughs> the actual logistics of this Ken Shamrock <laughs> exhibition. Much in the way <laughs> that John Jones would be all right in prison fights due to his long reach. <laughs> That's true. Who was um? Oh, it was Mike Tyson that was left alone in prison. Exactly. He's a bad dude. Between Montreal and the um, Shamrock and Severn WF crossover, and Inman and Brawl for All, this is like an event horizon over the next uh, fifteen, sixteen months as far as defining incidents in the subsequent twenty years of Dave Meltzer's life. That's very true. Of Montreal and who would win in a shoot will become basically the most prominent themes of uh, the great man's work. He is probably on Twitter arguing with someone about it right now as we as we speak. So yes, that accounts for about forty percent of his output these days. You know, what accounts for forty percent of his output is the other person's tweet <laughs> right there underneath it. There you go. Well, and I promise you, Joe, that's the last time I'll poke fun at old Dave Meltzer on these shows we're doing, okay? Okay. I have my words. Okay, I'll hold you to that. <laughs> uh, let's see. The Legion of Doom asked for a title shot and got one. And to be fair, they won at WrestleMania, so that's cool. 
Uh, Bret Hart had a guest role on The Simpsons, by which I mean he said three sentences. This did not stop the WWF from producing a magazine cover with Bret and Bart Simpson on the cover with the headline, Bart Foundation. Uh, Bret himself recently told a story on his podcast where he was just supposed to be a random wrestler, not himself, which is why his voice sounds off. But when they saw him signing so much merchandise for the crew, they decided to put him in. This uh, story seems strange, because why not just get any <laughs> random voice actor to voice a wrestler? And not an actual wrestler, but not to be himself? Not questioning Brett, it just seems uh, curious to me. Um, I hadn't thought about that way. Well... Again, I'd never, I'd never heard the story before. So right, was... and the, that would to go into more melt minutia. The question of Bret Hart buying Monty Burns' uh, mansion would also become one of the great uh, jokes of uh, Meltzer Podcast. Sure, be a great joke. Yeah, for sure. Them pondering, unaware of this news, right. pondering. Yeah, it. hmm, hadn't heard about that. I'll, I'll just have to ask <laughs> him, you know? We'll look into that, yeah. I'll ask Shoot him. Shoot him um, a question. They started airing these weird little ad segments called Reality Check, where people just, I guess, started imitating wrestlers. Like this old guy's wife died, so he started acting like mankind. And this old kid starts acting like Stone Cold and calls his parents pieces of trash <laughs> for certain beams. This is not encouraging me to get my kid to watch. Well, it sounds like you need a reality check then. <laughs> a piece of trash? Uh, fun fact, uh, the USA Network had a Sunday block of programming of uh, Silk Stocking, Pacific Blue, and something called the Big Easy. Do you know what it was called? The Sunday Night Block, Silk Stockings, Run with the Pack, and the Big Easy. I mean, at one time I did. I surely did. Tell me, please. Sunday Night Heat. Ah, that's the rub. I see where <laughs> you're going with this now. Yes. All right. There was a uh, Kuwait tour in April. You know Tiger what? It's funny because I know MTV's on Saturday night had that uh, buff um, Ricky Rackman fellow who would eventually be involved in professionalized wrestling, and he did host the Headbangers Ball, but the combination of uh, the content of the Headbangers Ball and Rackman and his big muscles as a host, as they originally called that, Metal Slash Jacked. Wow. <laughs> you know, isn't that surreal? That is very odd. Huh. Interesting. All right. Uh, let's see. There was a Kuwait tour in April. Tiger Ali Singh won the Kuwait Cup. And it, uh, we mentioned it being a positive Vader did not get a title shot because he got in a bit of trouble on a talk show while in Kuwait. I will quote the Observer here. Uh, let's see. White and Mark Calloway, uh, parentheses, Undertaker, close parentheses, were guests on the live morning television show and were told ahead of time what questions were going to be asked, including whether pro wrestling was fake. According to the Titan side of the story, the English-speaking producer told the wrestlers to ham it up. The question was asked through an interpreter to Calloway, who responded with an answer along the lines of it being entertainment, but with athleticism and all the injuries suffered are very real. White wasn't asked the question, but started off low-key, said he wanted to answer the question, and said he's not as diplomatic as his colleague. At that point, White grabbed the host by the tie and began shaking him and said something about the question being bullshit. And in his tirade, said he was insulted by the question and shoved the terrified announcer down backward over some chairs, and a table and flower plant wound up being turned over. As the show broke for commercial, when it came back, both White and uh, Al Offman, I guess was the uh, announcer, were gone, and uh, he's not been back on the show since. Police were called immediately, and White was arrested both for assault and for 
lascivious conduct, being it is illegal in Kuwait to swear on television. So, uh, if you watch this, it's um, <laughs> quite amusing, because while Vader, they show this on WF TV, while Vader is um, abusing the announcer, Undertaker's just sitting there like, huh, this is occurring. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, I guess you couldn't expect them to break character, so there you go. I guess that's how the Undertaker would respond. He would not care about the fate of this uh, the small man. He would know so that. He would know so being lit on fire. <laughs> All of it. Just, he's the phenom. Yes. What if they happen simultaneously? He'd just stand there, burning. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. In addition, uh, O'Leon White returned to the United States on April 24th after spending 10 days under house arrest in Kuwait while awaiting a hearing on charges of public aggression and public humiliation having to do with the incident on the Good Morning Kuwait television show. In addition, White faces secondary charges of disorderly conduct and public drunkenness stemming from a second incident on April 21st at the hotel he was being held at, which ended up involving 20 police officers. Let's see. Let's see. Now let's leave the country. I went to the U.S. Embassy to try to get out of the situation, had a few drinks, and got sick. He was looking for something to take because he was sick and went to a doctor who smelled the alcohol on his breath. And that's the situation. He was being arrested for being drunk in public, and more than 20 officers came and took him down to the station, although nothing further expected to happen on the public drunk charges. The aggravated assault charges figured to wind up with White paying a decent-sized fine, but no prison time. So, uh, yeah, tough times for Vader here. What a, yeah, what an adventure. <laughs> Certainly. I remember this being... Um, kind of played out on television. It just seemed weirdly surreal. Like, is, is this, you know, is this like something that he did to build up his character? But nope, he went nuts in Kuwait. Free Vader. <laughs> that would be the hashtag now. Mm-hmm. Although, <laughs> Vader's adventures on Twitter were, um, I guess, also public humiliations. Mm. Well, yes. He provided some free Vader. <laughs> he freed his little Vader. Anyway, Quick Observer note, a one-hour documentary on the life of Bret Hart was among the television shows being sold at a Canadian TV conference in Toronto last week. This will come up later. <laughs> have you ever seen Wrestling with Shadows? Oh, sure. You probably have. I actually never have. Huh. I don't know. It just never came up. It's been on, like, free TV, free TV and stuff. I've never taken the time. No, so you're not going to believe what happens at the end. <laughs> so you've never seen Julie give Hunter what for? No, I never have. Oh, boy. I'll make sure I watch it when we get around to that. Okay. I am aware. All right, let's go to In Your House, Revenge of the Taker. Uh, <laughs> the name of the pay-per-view, which they announced beforehand, uh, somewhat gave away the match result. Mm. But it was not even the main event. There was a show-long story where Austin arrived late, got jumped in the bathroom by Bulldog and Owen. Austin still wanted the match, so Gorilla Monsoon moved his match to the main event to give him more time to recover. So we had uh, Brett and Austin in the main event, Davey and Owen tried to accompany Brett to ringside, but they got sent to the back. Austin and Brett had a duh, a very good match, although the crowd was a little bit quiet. Maybe it was because both guys were real heelish, or they weren't used to heel Bret Hart yet, I can't say. But uh, Hart worked over Austin's leg throughout the match. Both men used foreign objects like chairs and knee braces fairly liberally. The ending saw Austin have Brett in the sharpshooter, but Owen and Davey made it in for the DQ. Uh, lame ending. I see why they did it, and uh, Austin at least got his hand raised, but... Uh, not not a blip on either of their two previous matches. Mm-hmm. Sort of overlooked. Uh, Brett must be injured, too, because he's going away imminently. Yeah, pretty much after this, they're, uh, he is uh, written off. 
the match before that was the Undertaker Mankind match. And you know, it's so funny to hear all these guys think, like, I guys work too fast, so you need to slow down and sell. And you watch this match, and both guys are just killing each other. And I know most wrestlers aren't McFoley, but this is so much more reckless and dangerous. Like, you know, Jerry shots to the head, Mankind's skull being rammed into the guardrail, uh, Mankind broke a glass pitcher over Taker's head. Also, the spot where Mankind went head first through the announce table, which uh, isn't. You know the bump if you've seen it. It was really well done, but uh, not one of his more famous efforts. It was really just uncomfortable to watch. And uh, Taker's face was burnt, so he had some purple makeup on to convey that. Undertaker ended up winning with the Tombstone, per the show's title. Uh, afterward, Taker grabbed Paul Bear. I believe the idea was Mankind would throw another fireball, hit Bear by mistake, but he couldn't get the damn thing to work. So Taker just punched him, grabbed it, uh, grabbed the letter himself, and he just torched Paul Bear with a fireball in the face. It wasn't like, oh, man, that didn't look good. Like I was like, oh, my God, like he threw fire in his face. Boosh, king off the blonde Paul era. Uh, yes, although he would go brunette for a while. Ah, interesting. This is uh, also one of Undertaker and Mankind's least notorious matches of their many. Yeah, that's kind of the theme of the show. It's like matches you can watch, and they're pretty good, but you can see much better ones elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show opened with the Legion of Doom taking on Owen and the Bulldog. Uh, they're wrestling. Animal slams Bulldog off the second rope. Gets the win. New champs, right? No. Bulldog was not the legal man, which mattered here, so the match had to be restarted. So the Legion of Doom uh, have the win again, but this time Brent runs in for the DQ. Made worse by the fact he was late getting to the ring, so the ref just didn't start counting right away. So <laughs> he felt the need to rip fans off twice in one match. Oops. Mm-hmm. I imagine... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh. Joe, at this point, we can simultaneously say each other's sentences. Oh, you didn't. Um, this is an awkward stage of the Legion of Doom being so washed up but still not wanting to beat them yet. Yeah, it's like you imagine they would probably promise the titles, but they wouldn't want to take them off the Heart Foundation right away, so mm-hmm. you want to have an ending. But I, <laughs> look, I don't see what's wrong with having only one screwy ending, mm-hmm. not two, but... After that, we had Rocky Maivia against Savio Vega for the IC title in a hideous match. Farouk was on commentary, setting up a gauntlet match between Ahmed against Crush, Savio, and Farouk. If Ahmed won, the nation would disband. Farouk also mentioned Ahmed's black butthole, so there was that. Anyway, Rocky gets sent to the outside and flies into Crush, who is arguing with some fans. So Crush gave him the heart punch, and he gets counted out. So that is two straight title matches without a clean finish. And only three out of five overall on the whole show. Uh, Ahmed ran out afterwards and, uh, I guess, accepted the challenge. You're going down. Yeah, the, they, they were really bad about DQs around this time. I don't, do you think it was worse, like, I mean, clearly in the early 90s when they did, when they rarely had, like, you know, non-squash matches, they would... But it just seems like, God, like, they had no other endings at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a weird thing. I don't can't really track it in real time as to when that became a thing because even over the 2000s during periods when you think they wouldn't do that anymore you get a finish like that Undertaker Lesnar uh, September 02 thing where they did a DQ finish set up a rematch and I remember people flipping out about that like you can't do this stuff (laughs) pay per view extravaganzas now granted at this point these were what $15 two hour shows so Yes. Maybe they also saw them as uh, not essential, like, booking payoffs. You're just getting, like, some kind of super raw. But nevertheless, like, what a string of not even trying. 
Yeah. There was that bad streak on SmackDown, too, I think, like, earlier this year or late last year, where every main event was just, like, non-conclusive. Mm-hmm. So, I guess it's, uh, it's a trend. Uh, the final match of the show to speak about was Jesse James taking on the Honky Tonk Man's protege, who turned out to be Rockabilly. Billy Gunn in. I can't even say a new gimmick. He just had a new name, and he swiveled his hips. Wasn't Rockabilly, like, a badly outdated term, even in 1997? <laughs> like, like, you know, like, the Stray Cats had not been popular for a while. That checks out to me. Yeah, I'm... And you may wonder why Honky picked Billy Gunn after he punched him out, but uh, they explained apparently Honky liked his funk. And um, <laughs> I like when Billy Gunn made his way down to the ring, the camera focused on two signs. One said wimp, the other said girly man. So I have to wonder if those were just random signs people made or they were just plants in anticipation of lack of interest in Billy Gunn's new game. Wimp, girly man. <laughs> uh, this match itself was so heatless I thought the network was broken and then Rockabilly lost so uh, good job Lucha Underground Lucha Underground booking yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Honky tried to attack Jesse James afterwards but failed at that too so uh, overall the last two matches are good but as I said there are better match, better versions of both matches out there but uh, if you have the network and you've never seen it you could probably do worse Rockabilly is a cute play on words his name is Billy Joe, and then you got Honky Tonk, you got Rockabilly. But <laughs> why? <laughs> Especially when Jesse James, who I guess they were gonna make a babyface singing man at this point in time, was the intention. Who was the real Double J? Uh, so still okay. Yes, I mean if. Um... And the rumors of that time, of course, were always. Like, oh, got to get Emancipate Superstar in the making Disco Inferno, who I think was in WCW Purgatory for not wanting to lose to Hall of Famer Jacqueline. Right? And that was a weird connection for the internet folk of 97 to make, because I guess it is more of a musical progression than Honky Tonk to Rockabilly, but if he was like, oh, the Honky Tonk man, I love to dance, and what's a new kind of music is this disco dancing man? He's just a disco dancing fool. I guess that would work. And he would have gotten that, like, Mark Marrow treatment of a man going from one company to the other. Sure. Yeah, I think I read there was really nothing to those talks. Right. As logical as it would seem, it was just something people assumed... Yes, it would just... It, it, made, it just made too much sense to not be true. Exactly. Yep. Except it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It's not quite, though, the purgatory Ric Flair jumping to WWF to be the corporate champion in 1998. Driving around in the parking lot to uh, hoping to get the call, but no. Uh-huh. All right, on to May. Only, uh, or thereabouts, only uh, three weeks between pay-per-views, so they just announced a bunch, uh, bunch of matches. Austin was going to get a title shot against The Undertaker, which was fine since they both won the top two matches the night before. Shamrock was going to fight Vader, which they started setting up, and uh, there's also the gauntlet match. Mankind was going to fight Sid, who wasn't ready, so that was changed to a mystery opponent. And uh, Triple H slash Funk was happening because reasons. They also hyped a Bulldog Owen LOD rematch, but that was relegated to the dark match and just never happened. So, the Raw the night after the show had a classic segment where Austin challenged Brett to a street fight, which Brett agreed to. The match is about to start when Bulldog and Owen run in and lay out Austin. This causes Shawn Michaels to come out for the save, chasing Owen and Bulldog away. Brett's still with Austin, so he tries to pilmanize Austin's leg, but Austin moves. Brett comes off when Brett comes off the top. 
So now Austin goes to work on Brett's leg, and this ultimately leads to Brett slowly getting put into an ambulance, which turns out is being driven by Steve Austin, who beats up Brett while he's strapped down. So Brett gets taken away with Owen and Davey Boy vowing revenge. They attack Austin at the end of the show, but Sean makes the save again. But this time, Brian Tillman sneaks through the crowd, attacks Austin, and Sean has to make the save again. So, just, uh, I'm trying, like, this was such a good show-long story, like, in terms of being interesting and things progressing. Did they really, I mean, I know it's (laughs) three hours, it's probably different and more challenging, but did they really do this kind of thing anymore? It just seems like, you know, like, Roman Reigns will show up and do something and then leave, and that's it. Like, there are, (laughs) you know, it seems more, I guess, separated, like, it's not as intertwined as it is now. Oh, absolutely not. You get maybe one and then return later and recap that, add infinitum in between. Um, and they they just won't give away those kind of angles. They That would be like every decisive, important, memorable thing would be spaced out as like the finish of their four consecutive pay-per-view rematches. The Tillman thing and then... You know, the, the ambulance blow up. And they did that on a two-hour show. And they they stretched their entire episode of Raw, like, as much as possible among just the people involved in this angle, especially Bret Hart and Steve Austin, which is, like, good. Impressive work, <laughs> Russo. Yeah. yeah, this was, uh... I, again, I know our mutual friend Matt Feuerstein has grappled with how much credit to give Vince Russo at this time when television is so very good. But, uh television would become pretty bad later. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the next week, Owen has a title shot against Rocky Maivia, the IC belt, dedicates it to his brother Brett, and he wins clean as a sheet. He takes the title, presents it to Brett. It, it was just so great, because Owen finally won a singles title, and it was all due to the love and support of his brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, wonderful. Yeah, it was. It was like, because I, I think we all appreciated Owen finally getting a singles title run beating the hated Rocky Maivia, mm-hmm. doing it clean, and just kind of the, the way the story tied together that, you know, <laughs> this was like a good thing. Is it? Like, it, you can see why, yeah, like you can see why Brett thought they were the good guys. <laughs> certainly, certainly. They're just, through the power of friendship and family love and trust, they were able to really get their act together. Uh, is this, do you know, when Owen Hart had his newfound championship belt to go along with his pre-existing tag team championship belt and held both those belts and said to his brother, Brett, look at all this gold, we're rich. I believe that is the case, yes. The best. Oh, it was the best. So that show... That is the shame of it. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, uh, Due to the nature of his injury, um, Bret Hart couldn't be carrying around the world championship at this point, and they have all the belts, and they'd be like such a better version of the uh, NWO than the NWO was being at the time. Or Evolution. <laughs> Certainly. I just <laughs> Ric Flair and Batista team to win the tag yep. title so they could just have the, all the gold. Yep. Strange days. Uh, let's see, that show was main evented by Undertaker against the Bulldog which ended in uh, DQ, and Owen ran in. Stone Cold ran in, chased them off, and uh, got into it with Undertaker and got choke-slammed. Decided, uh, or noticed Brett was all alone at the top of a, the stage, went to get him. But was stopped by the returning Jim the Anvil Neidhart, allowing Brett to knock Austin off the stage. Brett was in the wheelchair at this time, too, because of uh, of injury suffered. This will be a recurring motif. Wheelchair Brett? Yep. And then, uh, I believe he was, yeah. Yeah, I feel like he was, or at least on crutches. Mm-hmm. 
the next week, the story was they were looking backstage for Sean, leading to a skit where they pull a guy out of the bathroom, start beating on him, realize it's not Sean, pause, and then resume beating him. <laughs> One of the like very minuscule highlights of all time of Raw. <laughs> All right, uh, grappling great. Tiger Ali Singh debuted being Sal Sincere. Unfortunately for him, it was while Brett was being taken to the ambulance, so to the home viewing crowd, uh, it was a split screen. Uh, they were distracted and no one cared. Whoops. <laughs> Unfortunate. Uh, they ran a weird angle with Doug Furness and Phil LaFon about how they weren't over. <laughs> they came out and said they hadn't connected with the crowd, and uh, Furness complained all their opponents having a home court advantage, because I guess the fans liked them. So they would later, uh, this was uh, basically their heel turn, and um, they would be uh, called the, uh, was it the world's most exciting tag team later on? Wow. Yeah, this, they got put with Jim Cornette. This didn't go very well. I don't even remember that. No. I, I vaguely remember it, like, being relegated to Shotgun Saturday night. It's tough for them to be... I guess they were the baby-faced opposition to Owen and Bulldog, and that they repeatedly wrestled them, and now an even more Canadian version of Owen and Bulldog cannot be adversaried by these Canadian or, you know, can-ammed connection. Yeah, I guess they figured, uh, I don't know, the LOD taking the main. Right. They, and they weren't over, so you may as well turn heel. Exactly. All right. Uh, speaking of the LOD, they broke Henry Godwin's neck using the Doomsday device on Shotgun Saturday Night. Although Henry would be back in about eight weeks. Uh, side note: Wikipedia says Henry's middle name is Orpheus, although this was never mentioned on television, so I don't know how they knew. What does the footnote lead to? <laughs> That's just a trading card. <laughs> and what does the I and Phineas stand for? I don't know. Hmm. You handle that. I'll okay. tackle. Uh, I'll see what this says here. You're typing. Let's see. Computer, search Phineas I. Godwin plus initial plus the truth plus internet archives. Commence search. It's Ichabod. There you go. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm not finding what the O stands for here. Oh, no, it is. Oh, the... Um there it is, yes. He was renamed Henry Orpheus Godwin. Uh, connection to Greek farmer. mythology? He just did. Let's see where this link goes to. It just says, Sure results 1995. So I don't think that does us much good. Famed history. <laughs> I'll see if it's mentioned anywhere there. Yeah, this is very apocryphal. No, I'm not seeing it here. I think someone at Wikipedia is playing fast and loose with the truth. I could be wrong, though. Here's Google hit number five, and this is definitely worth taking our time on this special anniversary show, uh, <laughs> recapping one of the most popular periods of WWE history. In 2010, um, man of the people and incredibly patient question receiver Jim Ross was asked by JR's Barbecue blog user Undertaker Forever. He submits this question. Hey, JR, I read a question about Henry Godwin. The O stands for Orpheus. So his full WWE name was Henry Orpheus Godwin. But wouldn't you agree with me that saying Henry O. Godwin made more sense than saying Henry Orpheus Godwin? Does the WWE accept suggestions for DVDs from fans? Like, can you contact them and ask slash talk to them about a potential DVD project? 
I want to bring up a rise or history of WWE idea. I think they did that, for sure. And so, how can that be his idea? And uh, Jim does not answer anything <laughs> related to Henry Orpheus Godwin. But, like, what is Undertaker forever talking about? Because he never was called... Oh, he was always called Henry O. Go- All right, Joe, never mind. <laughs> well, I'm glad we didn't settle that. What did Orpheus do in Greek times? Um, wasn't he the, wasn't he, um, all I know is from my Sandman comics, I believe he was, uh, Dream's, Dream, uh, Dream's son. Singer. He got, uh... Oh, he had a lute or a lyre. Let me see here. Lin J, musician, poet, prophet, and ability to charm all living things and even stones with his music. Wow. Tempt to retrieve his wife from the underworld, that was it. Hmm. Oh, and he looked back? No, that was Lot's wife. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Huh? I just remember they, he was featured in a Sandman comic with a glow-in-the-dark cover. That's where I'm basing my knowledge from. Oh, shoot. Orpheus. Mm-hmm. Now, wait. All right, that. Hang on. What happened to Orpheus' wife got her stuck there? She followed him. And, uh... uh yeah. Yeah. Identical thing. It must be a real monomyth, that whole walk your wife out of hell and turn back. Hmm. Uh, the myth of... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The myth of not looking back. Yeah. So... You know, it's reflected in the biblical story of Lot's wife. Well, there you go. Hey. You know, Joe... Some of these archetypes of storytelling, and they carry on to professional wrestling to this day. It's so simple. <laughs> Heel, babyface, shine, heat, thing, punch, kick, backdrop, comeback, finish. All right. Moving on. <laughs> oh, we can do more Greek myth stuff. <laughs> like uh, Austin Aries, right? That's a mythological guy. Um... Uh, I'm trying to think. Valvinus? Mantar? Charlie Mantar. Oh, Mantar is... <laughs> being the anniversary show, we should be paying homage to some of our great spots in the past and had an inordinate amount of Mantar content. So thank God we're out there. <laughs> and now we're going to show a clip. <laughs> ah, look at oh, good time. Anyway. So young back then. Yep. Uh, all right, moving on. We had a big thing where Ken Shamrock challenged Mike Tyson to a fight. <laughs> Did not happen. I wonder what did happen when Mike showed up less than a year later. <laughs> Ken just kind of forgot it by that point? Mm. Yeah. Maybe just let it... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we had a lot of vignettes of Shamrock around this time, showing him as a family man coaching his kid's baseball game. He just came across so wooden. Like, <laughs> like this man is not exciting. Yeah, I don't care if he's real. Mm-hmm. He's boring. Yep. Was that your uh, general thoughts about this real fighting man? I loved his music, so... That was a big thing, and uh, certainly uh, it wasn't until, like, Corporate Ken that I really quite understood what he was doing. Or not even Corporate Ken, but at least Heel Ken at the end of 98 when I was finally like, okay, yeah, this guy's annoying, so. <laughs> yeah, he, um, yeah, that's when it finally clicked for him, too, although I think the feud with The Rock, he got, he, uh, 98 helped him a lot, I feel. Yes. Had a hell of a damn body, though. He did. Very true. 
Uh, Vader was freed and returned to Raw, where Jim Ross yelled at him during an interview. Vader was going to beat him up until Ken Shamrock made the save. They tried to position Vader as a bully, which worked out great for Ryback and Busey. <laughs> Ryback and Busey. One of Ryback's many, many alter egos, I guess. Well, Joe, I think that you're actually mistaken and that uh, Ryback hates bullies. Oh, I thought he was one. Mm-mm. The big guy hates bullies. Huh. Well, good for him. Uh, let's see. Ahmed Johnson had a match against the Sultan, but uh, when the nation came down, he flipped out and beat the crap out of him with a 2 by 4 and, go figure, injured him legit. Uh, <laughs> the nation then had a gauntlet match of their own for Crush to show off his prowess. But after two jobbers, the third man was Ahmed with pantyhose on his head and a Packers jersey clearing Green Bay, pulling off the shocking win. <laughs> I can't imagine. I don't know who Ahmed would root for. Uh, Pearl River, um... Uh... Alabama? Is that where it's from? Mississippi? Mississippi. Oh, yeah, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. I'm probably an old Miss fan. Are you looking up Ahmed's uh, <laughs> sports fandom? Johnson. Big T era. I've gone too far. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Fair enough. We got to an interesting sit-down interview, a series of them with Goldust and Marlena, where they... Basically did away with the early trappings of the gimmick, and admitted this was Dustin Rhodes. They talked about being the son of Dusty Rhodes, having falling out with his dad, why he does the gimmick. Uh, something they would use to uh, great effect for another wrestler, more than that in a second. But uh, they also brought out their daughter on Raw, dressed as Marlena, which was just weird and uncomfortable. Very much so, yes. Little, little <laughs> Dakota. Dakota, that's right. So this brings us to the cold day in hell. Jim Ross and uh, Jerry Lawler being your commentary team. The story here was the Hart Foundation bought uh, five front row seats to watch the main event, but they still got to make a full entrance for the show. Uh, Anyway, Austin Undertaker, the main event, one of the defining feuds of the Attitude Era, and this is, I believe, their first encounter. Basically, I don't know, you just expect a huge brawl, but (laughs) they were using headlocks, and both men worked over the other's legs. Austin uh, flipped off uh, Earl Hebner behind his back, but then Earl returned the favor to a big pop. Finally, Austin hits the stunner, but the bell just starts ringing out of nowhere. Turns out it was Brian Pillman hopping the rail, and uh, this distracts Austin long enough for Taker to hit the tombstone for the pin. Afterwards, we have a huge brawl, but uh, Austin dumps right out of his wheelchair, ultimately lays out on Taker, gives him the double bird. Uh, not bad, not was not what I was expecting, and uh, again, a lot more famous matches coming down the road. Mm-hmm. Do you think the SummerSlam bell ringer of last year was possessed by the ghost of the loose cannon? <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out, although you'd mainly think he was uh, out to screw Austin and not just ring the bell. I suppose. Undertaker was there, though. That's true, he was. Huh? Huh? And we just complained there was no long right, story exactly. in the company. That was a... A uh, 19-year storyline paid off. Interesting. Before that, we had uh, Vader and Ken Shamrock in a no-holes-barred match. Jim Ross was explaining how things worked in the UFC. Lala was pulling the old, these guys ain't so tough bit. It was uh, it was pretty good. Some cool suplexes, some submissions. I had a feeling this could have been amazing, but it was only pretty good. And uh, Ken Shamrock won with the ankle lock. So dangerous. He was dangerous. He lived up to it. And he... I mean, they they hit very hard, if I remember. Yes, they 
beat each other up pretty badly. <laughs> I think, uh, pretty sure Vader got legit injured, but we'll find out in a second. Under that, we have the Ahmed Gauntlet match. Ross had talked about the matches being spread out throughout the night, but on the pre-show, Farouk said he was hurt, which he was, Savio was hurt, which he wasn't, and Crush had the flu, which he didn't. So they were all in a row here. First up was Crush. Gorilla Monsoon came out, so the nation had to watch from the stage. Uh, Crush signaled for help a few times, but he never got it. Ahmed won with a kick. Uh, Savio <laughs> was next. <laughs> he got DQ'd quickly for using a chair. Farouk was supposed to mop up, but Ahmed made a comeback. He hit the Pearl River plunge, but Farouk courageously kicked out and then basically went clean with his finisher. What a hero. So the nation got to live for another day. Uh, yes. Although, they won't be friends that much longer either. Uh, they will be friends in a bit, actually. The nation itself, no, right. there are certainly problems being telegraphed. But They're going to, uh, I was going to say diversify, but the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, they, uh... Kind of circling the wagon. Undiversified, I guess. Uh, Triple H beat Flash Funk in the opener for some reason. They said the Funkettes weren't there because they were afraid of China, although they were basically gone as a cost-cutting measure. Uh, Flash himself should have been afraid of China, too, because she laid him out during the match and crushed him on the top rope. Uh, we also had Rocky Maivia as the mystery man, taking on Mankind, again, for some reason. They talked about a potential sophomore slump for The Rock, even though he was still technically a rookie. Again, one of the defining views of the Attitude Era presented here without any heat. Uh, Rock was using the Rock Bottom around this time, although just as a move, not a finisher, and Mankind won with the claw. Uh, as forgettable a pay-per-view as you'll find. Not uh, not terrible, but uh, again, the uh, television has been so much better than the pay-per-views they built. Uh, yes, if you because if you don't get out of Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and the soon-to-be crippled Steve Austin, I don't know where it's going to come from at this point. I guess Mick Foley also falling on things. Uh, everything else, it's like we are trying our best. We're going to get <laughs> as much blood from that heart as possible, and the rest, good luck to you, both. Largely nation-related going on. <laughs> a lot of them. Well, that was that would spin off into its own. Uh, exactly. The series. Wow. Nation of Domination cinematic universe. <laughs> I can't even begin to draw the comparisons there. <laughs> I, yeah. No, thank you. No. Well, let's just move on. Let's see. We got the new intro talking about how the WWF was seen in 80 countries, seven different languages, and viewed by over a half billion people. Oh, yeah, half a billion people a week that they were the worldwide leader in sports entertainment. Seems specious. <laughs> Perhaps it was the same company that told them they were like 80 million wrestling fans in the U.S. Well, I'm going to run with that worldwide leader thing for a while, so get comfortable. <laughs> they can certainly make that claim. Uh, they can't have made that claim for uh, since uh, 98 or so. World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary sports <laughs> in sports entertainment. Eventually displaced by whatever happens now, which is like, yes, sir, we got a great show for you. The Andre the Giant. Uh, I forget what else they say. Andre the Giant is a... Rest in peace. I think JR shouts something, too. Yeah, good God almighty. The champ is here. <laughs> That's right. One versus all is how it probably ends now. Oh, I was going to say, does it actually end that way now? Now it ends with uh, him saying, not a good guy, not a bad guy, <laughs> the guy. It just ends with going, boo. <laughs> 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 
That would be beautiful. Hey, some good <laughs> fan editor, make that. Just make yes, that please. with your tools. Yes, it's our 10th anniversary. Uh, if you could do that, I would appreciate it. So it's King of the Ring time. Uh, a change. Is there are only eight men in the tournament, period. No, uh, no qualifiers or anything like that. The first round all on Raw, the final uh, three matches taking place on pay-per-view. Ahmed beat Triple H by DQ, and China hit Ahmed with a chair. The next week, it was supposed to be Vader and Crush, but they said Vader still wasn't cleared after the Shamrock match, which was legit. So they stuck Triple H back in, the rationale being the referee never explained it wasn't a no-DQ match, so Triple H thought it was totally cool to have his valet run in with a chair. To avoid litigation, they stuck him back in. That was not the plan (laughs) all along. They didn't want to have him in at all, never mind win. I guess Vader's injury plans changed. I don't know who they had in mind, but... um, So he was put back in against Crush, of all people, and he won when Savio accidentally kicked him. Then we had Goldust and Jerry Lawler <laughs> for a match for some reason. Lawler called Goldust a flaming fag in the match promo, mm-hmm. and they got wildly cheered because they were in Evansville, Indiana, where Lola had wrestled for decades, and he won with his feet on the ropes. <laughs> and uh, lastly, Mankind beat Savio when um, Crush accidentally punched Savio, so the nation clearly headed for problems. The advertising had uh, Ahmed against Vader and uh, Goldust and Savio as the pay-per-view matches. So I don't know who's going to win coming out of that. I, I mean, you could make a case for anyone but Savio, I guess. Probably not Vader at that. I mean, maybe Vader. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure either. I did just get a text from Jerry Lawler, who's listening to our live feed. <laughs> he wanted me to address that foot on the ropes finish. And he disputes your claim, because what oh. he says, and I'm... Just to read the quote is, he says, I didn't cheat to win. How could I have put my feet on the ropes when Goldust is the one who is a little light in the loafers, if you know what I'm talking about? Ha ha. He's gay. <laughs> Text him back. Oh, I stand corrected. And I just sent back K. K. <laughs> wrote back I-N-G, question mark, and I said no. Now, for those of you questioning the veracity of this, we are recording this. On the night they take Raw in London. Right. So, so at 9.46 available. p.m., he is free. Exactly. He is available. I think he's, he's available most Mondays now, too. Sorry. Oh, that's true. He doesn't cost it anymore. Yeah. As long as we're not yep. doing it during that uh, pay-per-view pre-show, he'll be all right. Yeah. Most of Triple H's plight here, I think, is can be uh, understood with a close reading of the lyrics of my time, right? We learn about the games, politics, sissy toughs, all the fools and their stupid rules. That's how it ties into this, right? The marks, the suits, McMahon. Then give us a shot and we'll give you nothing. Because Paul is the (laughs) smart one, the mellow one, the easy one. And then it was finally his time and he was allowed to win the King of the Ring. I'm tired, Joe, of Triple H being held down by politics. Not being allowed to to win. True. That's true. Thank goodness he finally broke Mm -hmm. broke free. I guess it wouldn't matter who won. It's not like Triple H became a humongous star. He just was the King of the Ring. Right. Just something he got to say. If anything, um, based on who would be used and when, if we pretend this was a world where King of the Ring was an actual springboard for the winners, which it essentially never was unless you accidentally no. cut a career-defining iconic promo by uh, inadvertence. Uh, so then, like, Foley, who's in the finals, spoiler, should have just won this King of the Ring and be pushed as, like, a main eventer and then, like, third or fourth biggest star in the company for the next couple of years. And then Hunter, 
his ass can wait until 1999 and actually win that King of the Ring mm. and start his push with a purpose. Yeah, I mean, it worked out better. Yeah. Hashtag fix King of the Ring. Kings of the Ring? Uh, King of the Rings or Kings of the Ring? Kings of the Rings. Okay. World War Three. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, well, the nation was headed for trouble. Farouk was given the title shot, King of the Ring. He did win his magic cold day in hell. In an interview with Vince, the announcers kept repeating he's playing the race card, saying there had never been a black world champion and no one had gotten a shot. It put them in a weird position because they couldn't really well say, well, the black guys couldn't get the job done. Or admit the company was right. <laughs> so it just had to be like, it's true, but maybe Farouk will be the first. Yep. <laughs> Best wishes. <laughs> Fair enough. Just a, just a weird, uh, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense, but, like, I don't know, like, what do you do with that? Like, <laughs> well, black wrestlers are terrible, so they couldn't. Or, uh, <laughs> we clearly don't want that, so, I don't know. Just, I guess I guess if you were going to have Farouk... Challenge for the world title. This is kind of something you'd have to say. I yeah, because uh, some of the turns on Undertaker things like to get him working with IRS would be like the dead yeah. don't pay their taxes. So here, ooh, all the things that are probably running in my head, I truly can't say. So just okay. use your imagination. All right. It involves the phrase "man from the dark side," though. <laughs> well, the. Undertaker just didn't just have a black male to worry about. He had black male to defend. <laughs> now, in we all should end the show on that note, right? Just retire. That was, uh, <laughs> that was based... That was actually somewhere from a fruit promo, but he botched it. He said, he shouldn't worry about blackmail. He has a black man to worry oh, about. Oh, God damn it, Ron. Oh, it's right there. Come on, Ron. Damn. It was right there. So, uh, Paul Bear returned. His face bandaged up like a mummy. Oh, enough was enough. You know what? What? Based on what Paul's about to warn him about, I'd say Undertaker doesn't have a brother to worry about. (laughs) 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 Oh, cyber high five right there. Dude, we're basically jazz right now. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Oh, yes. Yeah, Paul Bear returned with the face bandaged like a mummy. He said, enough was enough. If Undertaker didn't come back into the fold, Paul Bear would reveal a terrible secret. And Undertaker was all, I need a week here to figure this out. As Jim Ross would later point out, uh, whatever it was had to be true or Undertaker wouldn't care. So he confronts Paul Bear in the ring, grabs him by the throat, and says he hopes his fans forgives him and bows in servitude. Now we had an office-style situation where Undertaker had to put up with his overbearing <laughs> He was had to roll his eyes and, ugh, this again. Uh, original reports were that Papa Shango raised Undertaker from the dead as he just signed a four-year deal. But uh, things went very differently. Right. Nor was he possessing Mr. Bob Backlund's hands in 1994. No. And nor was he resurrecting, like, the Brian Lee Underfaker now. No. But uh, he would be on a Hall of Fame path, so uh, this certainly worked out best for him. True indeed. True indeed. Now, you may be asking yourself about the status of mankind in Paul Bear. That got uh, quietly dropped as uh, they moved on to the famous series of sit-down interviews with Jim Ross. This is where they basically did away with the original mankind character. Admitted this was Mick Foley, 
who hitchhiked to Madison Square Garden to see Jimmy Snuka jump off the top of the cage. They showed the famous or infamous Dude Love Home video, also clips of him wrestling in death matches in Japan. I was surprised. He, they tried to cram in some comedies, talking like, you know, like, do you think girls want to kiss a boy that had worms on his breath? I'm a good kisser, Jimmy. But uh, this is what changed Vince's mind about mankind and McFoley. A lot of it was very compelling, especially when he screamed, like, why did you take me when I was good? And um, the dramatic conclusion took place after the pay-per-view, which was somewhat odd. Really mind-blowing stuff. Again, I don't feel like I have a whole lot to add to these genuinely excellent and groundbreaking things. Yeah, who would uh, <laughs> who would uh, serve well with one of these today? Perhaps um, oh. Victor. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot to get off his chest right now. <laughs> He's the one that's not suspended, right? Uh, right. That's Connor. That's okay, yeah. Connor would be like, "They called me a rat, Jimmy." <laughs> Michael Byron. Byron the guy. Byron. Certainly, yeah. Alex Reyes. Um, I ate the worms. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, they, they could explain the Ascension art, whatever the hell they're <laughs> Which has never been clearly stated to me. The wasteland is my neighborhood. <laughs> tough yeah. on the streets. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sid was back, June 2nd Raw. Job to The Undertaker in five minutes. He, go figure, didn't want to lose, but uh, I guess some threats were made about employment, which was uh, somewhat surprising with the era they were in. Well, I did that, that. Um, I'm saving my Sid stuff, so send them out in style. Can't blow it now, because it's finite yeah, opportunities. It's true, we're getting there. So you do your uh, 1999 Nitro Age of Mach <laughs> special. <laughs> Kickstarter, are you listening? But, um, yeah, it just seems weird, like, like (laughs) the hotly contested Monday Night Wars taking a guy who had headlined and being like, you better lose or you're out of here. What are you going to do then, huh? Where are you going to (laughs) go? USWA? They have, but, uh, let's see, memorable but fairly meaningless. The nation was scheduled for a match against the LOD, but we didn't know which members. Turns out it was J.C. Ice and Wolfie D who didn't know either. They were quickly squashed and never seen again, sadly. The uh, word was that Jerry Lawler was behind this because they had worked opposition shots in Tennessee, which seems odd to me. They were only making $250 and getting four to five shots per month. And I think, like, one of them in a shoot interview said, like, the most they ever made in wrestling was, like, fifty grand a year when they were doing WWF, ECW, and then working in Tennessee as well. I hope they get residuals for that nation track because it's bumping. Yeah, that was, I don't, I don't know, that was, they're not expensive, and uh, I don't know why, uh, I don't know, I thought, I thought they were a cool little part of the act, you know? But, whatever. That was a very memorable squash, though. Let's see, uh, oh, big thing as always, the Hart Foundation. The night after the pay-per-view, Brett said he had a big surprise for the main event, went down to the ring. He sent the rest of the foundation to the bag, saying he would be fine, despite being in a wheelchair. He calls Sean out to the ring and just starts berating him, saying he stole his title, faked an injury, he's a, de- uh, he's a degenerate, and the show ends. <laughs> if you watch this on the network, you see Sean superkick Brett out of his chair. Mm. If you watch live, Brett rambled so much they just ran out of time, which is a weird concept today, because they'll go God knows how long. 
Now, certain people thought maybe Brett went over on purpose, because Sean sure looked like an idiot here. But, uh, and Sean certainly thought that. Sean, yeah, Sean uh, had certain people in his ear telling him that. Afterwards, the Foundation attacked, but Stone Cold made the save. The next week, Austin and Sean were arguing in the ring. Bulldog and Owen appeared on the Titan Tron and laughed at their squabbling, saying they'd give them a tag title shot the next week. Austin and Michael said they'd find their own partners. Sean chose Ken Shamrock. Austin agreed to that uh, piece of trash, Harvey Whippleman. But later, Austin saves uh, Michael saves Austin from a Foundation attack. It's revealed that Gorilla Monsoon insisted that Austin and Michaels team up. Now, uh, Brett comes out, announces his surprise, saying he will return to action at King of the Ring. Sean appears on the Titantron, really seeming altered. And uh, this is where he drops the Sunny Days reference. Receipt. The upside is that Brett will face Sean in a ten-minute match with all the Harp Foundation members handcuffed to the posts. If Brett loses, he will never wrestle in America again. We also had uh, Pillman Austin playing for the pay-per-view at this time. So we get the famous match on May 26th. Uh, Bulldog and Owen against uh, Austin and Sean. I don't have a lot to say. It's a total classic. He's Austin and Michaels win the ta- uh, tag titles. Afterwards, Sean was attacked, and uh, rather than save his partner, uh, Austin took the opportunity to get Brett, who was alone on stage. The next week, we find out Brett is now too injured. The match is off. But the Hart Foundation goes Austin and Sean into having a match at King of the Ring, with the Pillman match being moved to the next night. So, a weird set of situations. You watch this, like, oh, a popular match. But, uh, nope, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Not as a popular match, but the match they've been building towards on and off since April of uh, 1996. So it's weird. That, I mean, I guess it was deferred from this mania just to June, when the first time Brett was healthy. But still, that would have been weird. It would have been a limited match, I'm sure, based on how yes. injured Brett was. Probably going to be more angle than match, but uh, still odd to build, you know, match between your, two of your biggest stars and then be like, ha nope, pull the rug. And also, Austin Tillman, an intriguing match. Not that that would have been great either, based on Tillman's uh, physical condition, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, so, one interesting note is that Austin injured his neck during that match. Here's some notes from The Observer. Austin was told by one doctor this week that his injury could be the beginning of a serious neck problem, and the doctor suggested he retire. He's going for a second opinion. Also, Austin got a second opinion from a doctor who told him he could continue to work regarding the neck injury, not the knee injury, and didn't need surgery, but he'd probably be in a lot of pain and have to gut it out. His injury was diagnosed as severe erosion of his neck vertebrae. This was before uh, SummerSlam, by the way. Yes. I think the doctor said, whatever you do, explicitly avoid one thing in particular. And And you'll be fine. Now, uh, Brett's knee was healing slowly, but there was a lot else going on. Sean wanted a new contract, and when he didn't get it, he gave his notice, which, go figure, wasn't accepted. I know uh, Brett also uh, wanted to punch Sean in the mouth, so maybe a worked match wasn't the best idea. And it stated Brett was healing more slowly than um, anticipated, but that was not really the crux of the issue. It's just it's so weird, like, all this backstage turmoil, like... People actually caring? <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, caring about winning and losing. Mm-hmm. Like, you even... I, you know... It's just, uh, like, you know, oh, Roman Reigns and uh, Seth Rollins hate each other so much they can't even have a match. Yep. Like, like, who cares, you know? So what? Mm-hmm. John Cena uh, and Randy Orton were the best of bros. It's yeah. Ugh. All right, we got some uh, debuts here. 
Scott Putski, son of Polish Power. Ivan Putski got a debut. He was really jacked, but uh, fairly short. In fact, when he wrestled, uh, Ross kept making comments about how he wanted to see more of this light heavyweight action. <laughs> it was reported in the Observer he was he uh, wasn't signed and uh, didn't impress anyone, but we would see him later. Mm. He's a very polished worker. Mm. <laughs> Just got that. Hey. A polished joke. Uh, let's see. <laughs> How many uh, polished workers did it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Um, an infinite amount, because they don't do all those pointless spins. <laughs> Hang on, wait. <laughs> How many polished workers did it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Uh, two... And then they do a double turn. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, uh, Putski beat Leaf Cassidy in his debut. And the next week, Cassidy also lost to the debuting Scott Taylor. They started a gimmick where Cassidy would snap after each loss. He yelled at Jim Ross. And the, uh, to the, from the Observer, Leaf Cassidy attempted to give notice, but he didn't understand his contract. He signed a two-year contract with a one-year WWF option. The WWF picked up the option for the third year, so he can't give notice until next year. They are doing a gimmick where he loses match after match on television until he snaps like a postal worker. When that was a thing. Help him. Backwards. (laughs) He would find uh, an upgrade in ECW. Along with... No, I guess not really Furnace on the Fawn. But uh, we would see kind of uh, that talent exchange going on. Mm-hmm. Hey, how many polished yeah. workers does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Just one if he works light. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my goodness. Postal workers don't really go nuts anymore, do they? Uh, right, yeah. Going postal. You would think now they'd be even more upset and anxious with the dwindling of their profession. They're, that is true. they're just pacified by screens, man. I guess so. Uh, extremely uncontrollably angry to the point of violence, usually in the work. I'm just going postal has a Wikipedia entrance. I can't. Uh, it's actually a memorial. From one, all right, 20, between 1986 and 1997, more than 40 people were gunned down by kind of workplace rage. Hmm. Interesting. As in 1993, St. Petersburg Times. Yeah, a lot of incidents. 86, 91, 91, 93. Oh, back in 2006. I guess I picked up a little. What? I remember that. This is picking up. I think I would have heard something about that on the news. Uh, let see. Yeah, one in Goleta, California, and then Baker City, Oregon. Interesting. Hmm. Anyway, that's rather uh, dire. Let's see. Oh, Rob Van Dam worked a match against Jeff Hardy, with Lawler saying he was the one who brought in RVD since he was the only talented wrestler in ECW. The story here is that word had gotten out Van Dam was negotiating with WCW, got him some major heat with the fans, so this was done as a way to advance that, Paul Heyman even being backstage. Some fans in the front row chanted, you sold out, which was a strange reaction, because they themselves bought tickets to the place he sold out to. Well, when you put it that way, yeah. <laughs> like normally you're upset a person is leaving and going somewhere else but you're upset they <laughs> left and came to where you are <laughs> uh, 
you you just somewhat Pavlovian, I feel more the out than the fold, I guess. I suppose. Uh, let's see. In a quick note, D'Lo Brown started wrestling around this time. He had his name instead of just being a random guy that got beat up. He was recognized. He was. He was indeed. All right. This brings us to the King of the Ring from uh, Providence, Rhode Island. It was uh, an okay show. As far as the tournament, uh, Triple H beat Ahmed, who uh, had originally beaten Triple H, when China did distraction and hopefully hit the pedigree. Uh, the Jerry Lawler-Mankind match actually went longer, and while it was uh, pretty good, I don't know why they had the announcer go toe-to-toe with a guy you're <laughs> having go to the finals and giving a big baby face push to, but whatever. Like, I don't understand why, I mean, did they feel like, oh, it'd be funny if Jerry Lawler was in it, it's a good story, we're really thin on talent, so he'll agree to lose at some point, I don't know. Fairly strange. Now he does have King in his name, so it seems like they were like, "Hey, talk about that." Yeah, you could. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you could. it must be, yeah, a, a finite amount of choices. Indeed. So we had Mankind Helmsley in the finals. They went about twenty minutes, which was just too damn long. It was slow to start, but they uh, told the story of China continually interfering, pulling Helmsley out of the ring during a mandible claw. Then Cactus tried a diving elbow drop off the apron. China pulled Helmsley away. Mankind crashed and burned. Uh, Hunter gave him a pedigree through the announce table. China hit him with a scepter. Mankind took the nasty plunge off the apron when Helmsley kneed him. He legit landed on a photographer. And then a final pedigree in the ring sealed it. I like the story of the endless punishment finally putting him away. But, uh, again, he still would go on to have amazing matches, and this was really the least of them. Mm-hmm. They'll be right back at it. Yeah, this is a, very soon. This very episode is uh, getting through some of these uh, forgotten versions of repeated attitude matches. Yeah, like bad version. Mm-hmm. But um, this was certainly... They're going to wait, these two guys are going to wait like uh, two and a half years to truly paint their masterpieces, but even the, the SummerSlam and the MSG match are much more notorious than... That's true. Then I believe they were, um... Didn't... Yeah, they went, like... There's a big gap after that. Mm -hmm. To the end of 99, they uh, started putting that together. Alright, we also had uh, Austin and Michaels. The famous match where the uh, mentally challenged kid fell over the guardrail, so the match just stops while they get him squared away. Uh, nice of Sean to help the kid and uh, not get up- upset, but this is just definitely strange, right? Like, everything stops, and Sean's helping someone to the back. Yes, and not just any someone, but this this fellow. I guess he got too excited, and uh, to be fair, why wouldn't you? Certainly. Uh, this match was easily the highlight of the show. Probably the best match these two would ever have, because Sean was just uh, thrashed at Mania 14. Mm-hmm. And then after that, Sean was gone from 98 to 02, he came back right after Austin took his ball home, and Stone Cold was only around for a little bit in 2003 before he was done. So he never really had that, like, you know, epic match after this. Mm-hmm. Although I, I do like the WrestleMania one. It's just, uh, it's certainly hampered yeah. in Sean's condition. Um, you, you're, perfectionists like them can feel free to talk about how they didn't have it that, that night, especially since their memories of it must be like excruciating pain or <laughs> drug haze. <laughs> but uh, you couldn't really ask for more, especially in terms of, like, satisfying finish and such. They no, did yeah, they right. could. They moved. Yeah. They did. They did the. They did good things with what they could do. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, this one did have a lame finish where Tim White got bumped. Austin hit a stunner, but no ref. He was so agitated, he just gave White another stunner. But then he got super kicked. Of course, still no ref. The second one ran down, but he just checked on Tim White. Tim White finally tried to count. Austin kicked out, so Michael super kicked the second ref. Earl Hebner finally ran down in the call for the DQ in a hilariously exaggerated manner. The uh, main event of the show was Undertaker beating Farouk to retain the title. Kept it short at about 13 minutes. That uh, wasn't terrible. Undertaker tried his rope walk at one point, but instead just did a big dive onto the rest of the nation on the floor. Farouk was in control when the nation began arguing outside the ring, which distracted him, and he ended up eating a tombstone for the pin. Afterwards, Paul Bear was all, uh, give him some more, and Taker just shrugged, gave him some more choke slams. Then uh, Ahmed Johnson ran in, I think he said he's a human, and he let out Taker with a Pearl River plunge. So, um, yes, kind of everything is just kind of weaving together, like Undertaker's story with Paul Bear is merging with, uh, you know, the endless Farouk, uh, problems with the nation, Ahmed feud. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, an interesting tapestry. Yes, and I think you're going to tell us soon that Ahmed and Undertaker is the main event for Canadian Stampede, which I'm sure everybody remembers when they had that match. That was the plan, to be certain. This As is, for the did did uh, Undertaker was under the control of Paul, so wasn't he like, hey, listen to me, I got some suggestions of how you should do this fight. <laughs> uh, like, no, let me do it. And Paul was like, yeah, he was yelling. He's like, oh, he's like, He's like, pin him or something. <laughs> That's an exact quote. And Paul Bear's like, ah, oh, I didn't listen to me. This is uh, the Michael Scott and Jim relationship, is that what she said? Something like that, yes. And, um... Hmm. Probably a bit more adversarial. Maybe, um... Maybe Jim, when, um... Who replaced Michael during uh, the Michael Scott Paper Company arc? Ah, uh. Yes, Charles Miner. He told him to, yes, to get the rundown. He just didn't know what that meant. Exactly. Confusion and a bit of disdain. Right. And then, so who would be the assistant to the Wrestling Observer Worst Regional Manager Award? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure exactly. I can't say. The Executioner. <laughs> Why didn't that rename the Fuji Award? They're going to give Dana Bryan right? <laughs> Yeah, just rename them all by the person who won. Yes, the most disgusting monster in a lab memorial award. <laughs> the David Crockett worst announcement <laughs> award. Ah, so what else is going on? Indeed. Uh, the rest of the show, the Hart Foundation came out, challenged any five wrestlers to a match at the next pay-per-view. Uh, they were going to do commentary, but got hustled out instead. So that was the uh, big Canadian stampede show. Mm-hmm. It'll be uh, included next time. So hopefully some good pay-per-views to go with television. Yes, and those initial five wrestlers may change, too. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Goldust beat Crush in a poor match. Uh, Crush the advertised stipulation on the box. <laughs> poor match. <laughs> Goldust with Marlena versus Crush with Nation of Domination. <laughs> well, that's truth in advertising right there. Uh, Crush is Jim Duggan, but without the charisma, says Dave Meltzer. And... Uh, Owen Davy and Nightheart beat the LOD and Sid. Uh, this match was rough. Too many points, guys just stopping and looking at each other when something goes wrong. Uh, had the, maybe the dumbest finish ever, where Sid gets tagged in. He's totally fresh. He goes to powerbomb Davy Boy, but Owen comes off the top with a sunset flip. Sid is unable to escape, and I don't believe Owen even has legs on Sid's uh, shoulders, so Sid held down by 
I guess, some strong gravity in Providence, Rhode Island. And that is Joe vs. the World series wrap on Sid Judy, <laughs> the Psycho One, the Justice Man. Essentially, yes. Maybe a handful of other appearances, but that's that's its story right there. Oh, what, when we started get to, in, uh, to Raw 1000 in 2012? <laughs> oh, God. Get back to Sid? I can't even. Mm. So, uh, let's see. Uh, they also had Steve Austin attack Brian Pillman during an interview and stick his head in the toilet. And uh, I point this out because they had a camera cut to basically inside the stall <laughs> at that point, which raises questions about uh, privacy issues in the Federation. Ron in the toilet, Bob Ryder. <laughs> so that is the next three months of 2000, um, 1997. And I have a note here. One last note. John Tesh has an interesting contract demand. Whenever he does a concert, the promoters must give him a WWF action figure in the dressing room. Tesh says his tour director came up with the idea to make sure the promoters read every line of his contract. Tesh said he's not a wrestling fan. <laughs> it's just an Eminem Rider? <laughs> yep. Action figure. Eminem Rider is my uh, favorite program on Raw right now. He's in Maurice. <laughs> oh, okay. Got confused there. Yep. I was thinking back to uh, Mercury um, <laughs> Malik. Yes. And, uh, that would have been better. Nitro. That's how we compliment each other. I guess so. Good old days, <laughs> so to speak. So that is, uh, yeah, we can say. I mean, the television is just. I <laughs> looked forward to watching all the episodes of television because they were good. And uh, as we said, just interweaving storylines, great characters. A lot of endings, not the best, but I mean, what are you going to do? And uh, at times, a bit over reliant on uh, the Hart Foundation. Austin, Michaels, but again, what are you going to do in <laughs> the options of the Truth Commission? So. Truth Commission. Some of the Truth Commission is that guy who attacked Randy Orton in South Africa. Low blowed him. In the name of truth. <laughs> That's that is true. Contemporary JVT W high spot, right? Yes, we tried to figure out how much it would cost. <laughs> Pay to attack uh, the fine. Man, uh, boy, have we had some laughs. We had some laughs. And we all learned a little something, too, I think. I like to think so. Man, how many polished workers does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? How do I answer this? Wait, I'm going (laughs) to do it again. How many polished workers does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? One, if it's in Montreal, (laughs) where that job for screwing happened. Great. Oh, That's well done. A joke for another show when I say it again verbatim. Okay. Very good. Well, all before right. you get emotional, do you want to hear all the things I wrote down about Greek mythology and wrestling? Sure. You're talking about, uh, I think it was something Furnace and Lafon related, and just yes. them, I lost interest. <laughs> so I just went to the Wikipedia page on Greek mythology, and these were all the things that seemed relevant to wrestling, and they are ready. <clears throat> Zeus, Hercules, Medusa, Saturn and Cronus, Uranus, Billy Gunn, Apollo Crews, and we get to Lucha, and you have Atlantis, Cyclope, and Terra versus Hera. And then one time WCW writer John Muse 
uh, Persephone McMahon, then the TNA era of Athena and Hermes Sandler, and finally <laughs> Delphi, which is where Joe and I met and became best friends on a message board website that probably still inexplicably exists and must be bleeding money. <laughs> Web 0.5. But that's I guess, yes. where we met and where I, I told Joe he was being a dick-ass fuck or something, according to lore. So me my ass was half full when I complained about the booking of Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit in the year 2000. There we go. I was wrong, Joe. I was absolutely wrong. Uh, you, you had some... Um, <laughs> a bit dismissive, but I think you had a, a valid point overall. Mm. Well. All right, well. I thank you, Justin, for not only tonight, but your uh, decade of service to the cause. It's the, truly the least I can do. Okay. What a blast. It's made me better. Or it's ruined all my conversations in real life where I'm seeking that podcast high, running for jokes. <laughs> well, at least you get that high. Sometimes. As a conversational partner, I wish more people did all the legwork that you do, which is like a bunch of exposition. Then pause, and let me try and forge into something comical. It's a good system. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I feel weird, like, if you go back on some of our Phase 1 shows, I think I was trying to make, like, real points and, and mm. interpretations and observations about professional wrestling. Yeah, look what that gets Yeah. Me. So no. all my senses have dulled in that respect. So people like the original version of my personality. I'm sorry. <laughs> Things change. Mm-hmm. And for those of you tuning in, this is not the end mm-hmm. at all. Oh, no. We have a week of shows planned. Oh, God. Five shows in five days. Come back tomorrow, thereabouts, and you will hear a new show. Maybe, us maybe, we haven't heard the last of Justin oh, yet. Maybe he's bringing a friend. Uh, but that is for another day. Until then. Tomorrow is the day. Yes. Well, I will just let me get a sip of water and we'll roll tape. Round two. <laughs> That's right, because this is not taped out of order in the slightest. Okay. All right, well, thank you, Justin. Anytime. Uh, I won't get too emotional since uh, uh, I have to bring it right back. It would be confusing to the listener if I gave a big speech and then we just started talking again like uh, nothing had happened. I hadn't indeed. poured out my heart to you and told you how much you mean to me as one of my truly uh, best friends in the world, and what a pleasure it is just to go into Joe versus the world world with you for these 90 magical minute increments and truly uh, explore the studio space, and I can't thank you enough. Uh, you deserve so many hits and uh, donations of m- real money that sent you to a um, convention in Ohio, I think, and, Indeed. and everyone should just uh, look in find the Joe Gagne in their life and tell them, thank you, Joe, for doing all the recording and the work and, <laughs> and just letting me uh, goof around. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Justin, for all your, again, all your hard service and uh, all the hard work and the funniness you put into this. Would not be, I would say, not be nearly a fraction of the show it is now without you. Mm. Well, that's right. objective. <laughs> okay. That's going to do it, everyone. Tomorrow. Indeed. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow for another episode. Well then, thanks for listening.